Kia and welcome to our second episode of Disrupted for 2024. Um, today I am joined by my ex-boss and close friend and colleague, Mori Abraham, who is also, of course, one of the co-founders of Disrupt Ed over on Facebook as well. So, Mori, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Kia. Thank you very much. Um, you know, retired from principalship back in July. Um and I'm not as busy as I was then, but I'm keeping pretty busy. Yeah, um, and, and and also really testing yourself with some crazy ultra marathon coming up this weekend. I understand. Yeah, yeah. So uh, four a.m. this Saturday, the gun goes, and um, one hundred and sixty-two kilometers later, hopefully about noon on Sunday, I'll stumble across the finish line. That's the plan. Absolutely crazy. And and for those of um who are joining us here on the Disrupted podcast who who aren't familiar with your work, can you give us a little bit of background of your journey through education here in Aotearoa? Yeah, so um started teaching at Narawaiya High School in 1981 and brief stint at Thames High School before heading to a Portiki College for 10 years as DP and 10 years as principal. Um got really into deeply into the restorative practice journey there, which um then started morphing into that relationship-based approach to curriculum. And it was that, I think, that I brought to my role as foundation principal of Hobsonville Point Secondary School back in 2012 with you and a couple of others joining me at the beginning of 2013. Um, and we had that awesome privilege of, of, of starting a school from scratch. Yeah, incredibly exciting journey. And I, I know that I look back on those years and so much of what I do now as um, principal here at Albany Senior High School, well, obviously, so much of what we did at Hobsonville Point was informed by the work that Barbara Kavanagh did at Albany Senior High School. So for me to come full circle mm -hmm. and learn from um, that work at Hobsonville Point Secondary School and come here um, to Albany Senior High School was a real gift. But today we're going to talk a little bit about um, the concept of moral purpose and the place that moral purpose um, has in your view on how we lead schools and how we lead learning. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your journey um, with moral purpose driving what you do in education? Yeah. Um, so when I started in Narawahia, um, you know, at a school with, which was 90% Māori um, and a really traditional school, um, you know, I, I thought the school was going pretty well, actually, from my point of view. Um, but after a while, you start to realise that big chunk of your population is feeling a little bit um, not connected with the place. And so as a real young teacher, you know, I, I became the chairperson of the Nutterway High School Marae Committee. And, um, you know, we built a whare on site right in the centre of Kingitanga, you know, 400 metres from uh, Tūranga Waiwai. Um, you know, and obviously we had to do a lot of connecting with Kingitanga and Fano, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, that, that, sort of made me start thinking about this is more than just teaching in the classroom it's about strong connections with with the wider community mm. and looking for ways to make sure that everybody in the in the school has a strong connection and one of the cool things that came out of that was that's when tomorrow's school was coming in so so multi uh, parents were getting the confidence to go onto the pta so they could get their hands on the workday money and then when boards of trustees come along you know they were well placed to sort of take their place so that, that was a, that was really cool um, and and then at a portiki, you know, ten years as DP in charge of discipline, you know, sixty kids a year um, suspended, um, ten kids a year excluded. Uh, so over my ten years, when I look back on it, there was a hundred kids excluded, mm. um, and six hundred 
kids and their whānau going through the whakamaa of a, um, a discipline uh, hui with the board. Um, so when I was appointed principal, without knowing how to do it, I just said, no kid will be suspended from the school again. You know, and that's what happened. Kids yeah. were still naughty. Um, the sun came up, the sun went down, um, and I just looked for other solutions um, and then stumbled across, across this concept of restorative practice and really embraced that and and um, tried to develop as much rigour around restorative practice as there was rigour around punishing kids. Mm. Um, and, and that gave it the heft. And um, you got to win hearts and minds of um, teachers, of students and of, of parents. Um, and the result of that was just outstanding. Um, and how long was that journey? What, what, how long was that journey in terms of taking on restorative practice? Because I, yeah. I get the sense that restorative practice and moral purpose for you is quite interwoven, like it's well, sort of part of the same story, isn't it? Yeah, well, the thing is relationships at the core of teaching and learning, it just rolls off our tongue. Mm. Um, but when we do a lot of things that we do in school, we're actually not focusing on the relationships. And that whole idea of restorative practice means that you don't focus on the wrongdoing, but you mm. focus on the harm to relationships that's caused by the wrongdoing. And your focus around is repairing that relationship, not punishing um, the behaviour. Um, and that's formed a really strong um, basis to my moral purpose. You know, look for ways to really have um, relationships at the core of what we do. Because I, I would say um, dealing with behaviour, it was most probably a three-year journey. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it took that long because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but once I figured out a few things and worked with other people, um, you know, it was it was a hard thing for anybody to argue against. Um, and then we started getting the evidence of kids being engaged and um, increased attendance, increased achievement. Um, and we were really wrapped um, about three years before I finished. You know, we, we could boast NCA level one to three achievement of, from a decile one school. And, you know, really, really low decile one school, equal to the average of deciles eight to ten. And we used yeah. to congratulate ourselves, you know, about that. But I, I would start every year and present to staff the photographs of the 20 kids who left our school without a qualification the year before. Um, yeah. And staff would say, oh, yeah, but that person's background. That is, and no, those are 20 kids who, you know, we haven't been able to win. We've got to do something different. And so that's when I started thinking about if the relationship-based approach to behaviour is successful, how can we – morph that to a relationship-based approach to curriculum and pedagogy. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not just it's just not in the dean's arena. No. This is across the school and how yeah. we operate every day, yeah. Yeah, and, of course, Russell Bishop and Mary Berriman's work around Te Kotahitanga is emerging around, um, is coming out at that same time. It's now morphing, you know, into that wonderful stuff around the northeast. You know, teaching and leading to the northeast says operate in a whānau-like context for learning, mm-hmm. um, but using um great teaching skills um yeah so that you know that that was the journey that i was on and i capture that by saying um and i, I hopefully you recall me using it at hobsonville point you know we'll give up on no one mm. um and so if i had to summarize my moral purpose it's really got to that point you know that we will give up on no one and i like to think that meant kids behavior kids learning journeys staff's competency, staff attitudes, 
Um, I was going to then say parents, but maybe I gave up on a few. Or I used to run and hide from someone. <laughs> yeah, so that 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 has become my sort of moral purpose. And then, mm. so when you're in a leadership position, you know, you think, oh, that's why I go to work. You know, so you you've got to think about how you can bring that to life because just yeah. having that as a moral purpose for yourself. Yeah, then, that's one thing. It's yeah. it's taking everyone with you. So, I mean, you you talked about the the sort of. Um, the genesis story of this in terms of how how your journey began and the work that you did at a um, Naruahia and, and um, at a Pōtiki. Um, when you then had the opportunity to um, develop a school from the ground up, and uh, many of the people here at Hobson, um, at, on Disrupt Ed will know Hobsonville Point Secondary School as an innovative learning environment, year 9 to 13, that um, we were lucky enough to be part of a team who established that and built that from the ground up. How did, how did that translate to that context and that environment? Yeah, so you've got this clean slate. Um, you know, there's green fields of what to do and who to appoint. You know, the first thing I did was was appoint you three. I mean, um, that helped make, definitely con- contribute to make things possible because <laughs> um, I was just a country boy with a few notes on a bit of paper which which says, you know, we've got a personalised learning. We've got to make sure there's authenticity and connection in learning. Um you know, we've got to connect to the real world um, and we've got to make learning deep mm. uh, and not a shallow um, approach so that you're clicking credits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and thankfully, I found like-minded people. And, um, yeah, we we tried lots of different ways of making that possible, you yeah. know. I, I'm often reminded of the that that evening or afternoon that we had with the community in Whānau, a future, you know, future community in Whānau, and we got them to um, write down for us their vision that they had for our students. I mean, we were strong-minded educators that had a strong sense of moral purpose and a strong vision, but there was nothing like capturing those parents' aspirations and those future students' aspirations to level up and give us power. There's real, I I thought that was one of the most powerful things we did, didn't we, in terms of permission to move ahead and take people with us as well. We had those... um, uh, outline drawings of, of of people on big hunks of brown paper on the wall. Mm. Remember, and we just asked parents to chuck up um, stickies with with words to describe their kid when they graduated. And no one said strong in English or strong in maths or whatever. They all sort of said, "Oh, respectful, honest, happy, yeah. um, curious, creative, all those sorts of things." And and, and the next powerful hui we had with them was when we went back to them a few weeks later and said, "Hey, you know all that stuff you shared with us that we've summarised and sent out to you." Here's the Hobbs and Full habits that we're going to build our dispositional curriculum around. You know, just really powerful stuff. Yeah, and that I mean, and those Hobbs and Full habits sort of created a bit of a spine, didn't they, for a lot of this other stuff to hang on. And the other thing we've talked about, not so much here today, but we've talked about in the past, is you had, and you've said you're starting to move away from it. You had sort of interconnecting circles yeah. of moral um, purpose and courage and those sort of. Can you talk a yeah. little bit about that? framework that you yep. tend to have in your mind yeah so I, I arrived at Hobsonville Point Secondary School with a really basic leadership model and it was just two circles at that stage that overlap moral purpose and courage because I you know you have to have a moral purpose our work our work is important and it's bloody demanding so we've got to have a real strong belief system around what why we're we doing it um, but that's useless unless you've got the courage to do anything about it 
So I just have a, these two circles and I'd be thinking, I've got to be somewhere in that sweet spot in the middle. You know, if I really believe this, I've got to be courageous. And we can think of a huge number of examples of where we did that, you know, where we stuck with restorative practice, where we convinced our community that we didn't need to do NCA level one, those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and then and then more recently, I've added this other circle um, open to learning. Um, you know, you've got to have this moral purpose. You've got to be courageous to do it, but you might be wrong. Um, and so you, as a leader, that's pretty demanding because mm. we like to be right. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think a lot of us as leaders um, really worry about, gee, am I going to get caught out by this? Am I going to look stupid? I've got to make sure I can answer questions that I, I've got all the answers. Well, you know, we don't have to don't have those. No. And yeah. I, often, I often see principals nearly in a state of paralysis waiting for another school to do something and see positive results. And I think one of the risks of that is that's not your school and that's not your community and that's not your context. That's right. Actually, the best thing you can do is get on with it in your own environment in an iterative way where you're being reflective, where you're capturing evidence of successes and failures and what you need to change and evolve. Um, But, you know, and and, and be brave enough to share the, the wins yeah. And and the things that you've learned along yeah. the way. I mean, as you know, we had hundreds of visitors through that place. And, um, you know, a couple of responses stand out to me. One is, um, I think it was around NCA Level 1, where um, a couple of visiting principals would say, oh, we'd love to do this back in our community, but our parent community won't let us. And so, you know, my discussion with them around that is, well, if you believe that's the right thing for student learning, you have to have the courage to take your parent community with you. Yeah, and yeah. then so they're not going to see the benefits until it happens. No, that's right. And 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 you know, we we swung them in that one one evening, mm. that one uh, parent evening we had about it when um, we were introducing our plans, and we we swung that community around. Yeah. Um, and the other thing to what you were speaking to before was that another thing people would say, we'd love to do this type of teaching and learning back in our school, but we can't because. Like yeah. don't have those spaces. We've got teachers who are, you know, in the traditional way of thinking. My response to that was always, "You shouldn't do what we do." What what you, you need should, to co-design it with your community, yeah, with your yeah, students. Yeah. yeah, you should look for what are the principles that drive how we've designed the learning mm. to make it look like in our context. If you like those principles, then you've got to look at ways in which you can bring them to life in your context. Um, and that's a lot of the work that I'm doing now is is um, I've got to make it really clear to people when I'm going in and working in schools now, I am not here selling you a Hobsonville Point Secondary School. No. It's the last thing. But I'll tell you what, there were some bloody great principles that drove what we did there. Let's explore those. Oh, you like those? Okay, mm-hmm. well, now look at your context. What can we do um, to help you bring those to life if they are attached to your core beliefs? Yeah. Yeah, so that's the work I'm doing now. I think I think there's a real piece to to look at as well as around the relationship between student voice um, driving you. Like I think of student voice as the fuel for what drives our constant innovation and evolution here at Albany Senior High School. And I I think we often do really tokenistic versions of um, student voice where we get them to to fill a survey and in a way that only gives them a really limited 
range of responses. I, I think of the, the the things we've done around our self-directed, you know, more self-directed learning on Thursday, Friday. We've now got Impact Projects 101, which are more structured and, and more rigorous for our beginning learners. All of that has come from genuine student voice and us really being willing to listen to what we have done well, but also what we could do better and what they enjoyed, say, over lockdowns and what, you know, and it would have been really easy to have not listened to that voice and carry on doing what we've always mm. done. And, mm. you know, I'm unapologetic to our team here that we will constantly be evolving and improving and um, will constantly be a new school because mm. we've, only, we've got three-year cohort. They're going to mm. cycle through. Mm. And what they want and need is going to evolve and evolve and evolve and be mm. never ending. Mm. Um, so the, the, there's a real work piece to be done around us genuinely listening to what our our students actually want and need. You know, like I get really upset. There was a piece of data out just recently about the number of students who are being um, suspended and excluded for vaping in mm. school. And, you know, and I come back and go, why the hell is anyone standing down a student for vaping? You can respond, you can have a hard line, you can be a completely vape-free campus and have a hard line, but you do not exclude them. And we need to work out what is going on for these young people that they're in that space and place where they're trying to do that at school in the first place. Like Mm. we've recently recreated our wellbeing centre and got sort of spaces for students to go to if they need to, if they're feeling anxious or anyway, I digress and go on and on. So tell me a little bit more, uh, Mori, about... Um, the work you're doing with um, different schools. So you're working in established schools. You're working with leadership teams. I've seen you working in a primary spaces and secondary spaces. Um, what, are, what are the kind of activities you do with them? Like what are the sort of things that people could be doing in their school to start yeah. on this journey? Yeah. So you're right. I'm, I'm in a whole range of schools um, and I'm enjoying that immensely. They've all got different things they want to focus on in in almost every case if not every case yeah it's about doing a deep dive into what they really believe about teaching and learning um and and trying to get some clarity around what that is and then when that starts to develop getting some cohesion and connection across everybody in the school around that so that everybody understands what those core beliefs are. Um, almost what we're going to die in the ditch for around teaching and learning here. It's been uh, a while since I've heard of Maori die in the ditch. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Well, that's, that's my term for your core belief and value. Yeah. yeah, it's the moral purpose. But to be concentrating it on, on what makes effective teaching and learning for people today, for kids today. And then once you've figured out what those key beliefs are, and you know where this is going. This is this is circles. Yeah, it, a bit it, of cynic, a bit of Aiken. <laughs> a lot of Aiken. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. Then, so what are the guidelines for action that you might follow in your school's context mm. if you really believe in connected learning, or yeah. you you really believe in real world context, or anything like that? Whatever it is that you decide. Yeah. Um, and it's only when you've really concentrated on those two bits can you even begin to look at the actual practices around the outside of the circle. Now, often as teachers and leaders, we want the answer, um, but the answer is not has no depth, it has no sustainability unless it's founded on these core beliefs around teaching and learning. 
Yeah. And and you can do that stuff in partnership with students as well. Like oh, I, I think the lovely thing that you're talking about is the power happens when this happens school-wide and community-wide. Yeah. But for those teachers who might be listening to this, who feel like, oh, this is not the journey my school is on, there is absolutely one of the most beautiful things about particularly single-cell classrooms is you are, in essence, a master of your own domain. And there is nothing stopping you going, whatever school you're at, saying, I'm committing to be tertiary-led in my delivery of my year two program or whatever it is with anything. You can use those circles in partnership with the young people sitting around you to co-design the, you know, the principles um, that drive you out to the practices and the, the actual teaching interventions that are going to support that. Mm. Um, so I think the beauty of what you're talking about is this, we don't have to wait for the school to be doing this or your community to be doing this. The power is when it is school-wide, yep. but there is absolute power in doing this as a single practitioner in the context of your own classroom as well, isn't there? Oh, totally. You know, we always talk about everybody in the space being a leader. Mm. Okay, there are some people with a capital L in their title for leadership, but teachers are leaders in their classrooms. Mm. Um, and, you know, one of the schools I've been working with recently are all are piling into their classrooms with these set of blank circles. And they, they've decided to explore their school values, but but get from kids, what, what does this value that we've got up on actually our walls. Mean to them. What does yeah. actually mean to you? And okay, good, we're going to commit to it. What would be the guidelines for action? So therefore, what are some of the things we might end up doing? Yeah. Um, totally powerful with kids, yeah. Um, and another school I'm working with is um, using an, an exercise we use at Hobbsville Point Secondary School where we got um, all the teachers around um, cafe-type tables and put two students at the table. Um, and, you know, the students were prepped to come up with um, my learning goes really well when teachers do stuff like this. My learning struggles when teachers do stuff like this. Um, and talk to that, answer questions from the staff, whistle, do a whistle, and then all the staff get up and move because the kids own the space. Yeah. And you see a different group of kids coming through telling that story. You know, it's just a, a really powerful way of hearing kids talk about their teaching and learning much better than a survey. I mean, surveys yeah. have a place, but um, teachers sitting there hearing what kids say they need in their classroom from their teachers. There's a lot to be said for courage and moral purpose, being about genuinely engaging with and listening to the young people that you serve and and the community that they come from. eh? It's the only way to deal with 21st century learners. Yeah. Um, You know, 21st century learners, every kid in every school in New Zealand was born in the 21st century. Yeah. Um, they're, They're 21st century people. Um, and and they need to have their voice. Yeah, and, and nothing that the ministry or the government throws at us stops us from doing this. No, no like, nothing. Nothing. No. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, I'm aware that we're we're hitting our our, our time now. I'm trying okay. to keep this succinct. Um, so, and have you got any closing words for us, Maury? Anything you'd like to leave people with in terms of what to think about and what to prioritize? I think. Um, you know, everyone, no matter where they are in the system, needs to have a clear sense of their own why. Why do I come to work? Mm. Um, and, and the hope is that it can be attached to the institutional why uh, because that gives a lot more sort of collective efficacy and collective agency. Um, and, and if you are a leader, um, you've got to have the courage to, to, to lead driven by that 
at the same time, you might be wrong and be yeah. open to that. Yeah. 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 And I think, and I think people have to be comfortable with what they, they do when they leave being unpopular for a period of time with your community and with your teachers mm-hmm. and sometimes even with your students and sometimes because, you know, you can break through. Yep. Awesome. Thank you so much, Maury. And um, thank you to everyone who's still listening along here today. Um, our aim is for 2024 to have a weekly podcast. So if you would like to join us for a conversation or if you have suggestions for who we might talk to, it might be me talking to them, I might rope uh, Maury in to have conversations. Um, we would love to hear any suggestions from you. But until then, have a fantastic um, end of week, weekend, and um, thank you to everyone for tuning in. Kakite.